Sons and Daughters Conference, uh, October the 6th, 7th, and 8th. And we're, you can see Andres and Natalia and Jeremy and Holly. I'm trusting that uh, John Drackett from uh, Grand Junction will also be with us and Nathan Halls will be with us. And we're going to have a panel discussion for our luncheon on Friday, a leadership luncheon with panel discussion. We'll have all these guys uh, a part of that. We'll be talking to you more about that. But if you haven't registered, registration is open. We have limited uh, space just because of uh, where we are. And we've decided rather than have a plan B in case we have 300 people register or something like that, we're just going to limit the registration but have people register um, by the day. So some people may want to come on Friday, but not Saturday. Some may want to come on Sunday, but not Saturday, vice versa. And that way we can know and make sure that we don't um, uh, overbook, you know, for each day. So QR code gets you there and um, admission is free. And uh, that doesn't mean it's a cheap conference. It means it's quality <laughs> and easy on the pocketbook. So we do have uh, quite a few host homes available as well. So if you're coming in from out of town and uh, you can't afford to spend the money on a hotel, then uh, we'll have some, some folks that will put a place. We just need to know about that in advance. We got you covered, Nathan. So the registration asks for if you're coming in from out of town, and if you do. So if you, if you know other people where you are that would want to come, pass on the link to them. They can register. If they're coming from out of town, we'll contact them and find out what kind of housing they need and try to find accommodations for everybody. So. Our goal is that everybody and anybody that's interested in Sunship or involved in triads anywhere around the country, around the world, can come in and get a B12 shot and some how-tos and, and some extra vision and uh, spiritual adrenaline, if you will in uh, terms of making disciples. So it's going to be a, a great time, fun time, and I'm, I'm trusting the Lord's going to show up. He's been showing up here in some amazing ways and, and doing some, some great new things. We're doing a whole summer series over this summer on the gifts of the Spirit and just asking Him to come and manifest Himself among us. And it's been fun to, to watch what has been happening. So, Father, we just invite you in this time. We invite you to come. We invite you to stir questions in our hearts and, Lord, those questions to invite us into further, deeper conversation with you. I thank you, Father, that we can come around this virtual table in this forum and we can stir one another, sharpen one another, strengthen one another, encourage one another. I bless you for it. For any that are watching uh, after the fact, Father, I just thank you that you bless them, their eyes, their ears to hear. Thank you for what you're doing speaking to us and through us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, you know that we're looking at a number of topics over the next few months. We've really got a year's worth of topics that we're going to work our way through. And the goal is to really think through the impacts of sonship on every one of the practical areas of our life. And I find that's the, that's the challenging work. We can get the theory, you know, through the scriptures, through theologians and those things. We can get the theory. But then taking that and connecting the dots. I was speaking to uh, a group of uh, uh, Lifestyle Christianity University interns this morning. And so we started by talking about what sonship is about and the essence of sonship and the, and the triune relationship and being caught up into that triune relationship with God. And then I said, uh, now what is ministry? And so immediately they shifted. It's like turn the page 
and started giving me definitions for ministry. I said, wait just a minute. Uh, let's connect the dots. We didn't leave one subject to start talking about another. We're talking about how sonship and a revelation of sonship infuses our life as ministry. And so that's what we want to do. And we're using the topics that you guys have um, brought to the surface for us. And this this evening, we just want to talk about what sonship is in the life of obedience. What does obedience mean if we're already sons of the living God, if we are walking by the Spirit of God, is there a difference between the Old Testament concept of obedience and the New Testament concept of obedience? We want to tackle that for you know 25 minutes or so and hope that you have more questions and more input. And then the last half, we, we want to shift over to what does discipline mean, or the King James word would even be to, uh, the chastening of the Lord. The Lord loved, chastens those that he loves as sons. And so I'm going to kind of pick up the first half. Cheeky will will uh, moderate the second half. And so we just want to, to go with it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw a couple of questions out just to try to get your mind and heart working in this direction. And then what I'd really like to hear is any questions that has come up in you about what obedience means in sonship. And the, the big frame I want to cast around this topic is the idea that Israel, the nation, God called Israel his son. Israel, you're my son. But Israel was the disobedient son. Israel was the son that kept straying from God, and God would draw them back, and they would stray again. Why? Well, of course, the Old Testament, they didn't have a new heart. They didn't have the Spirit of God in their spirit. So it was all by willpower. And Paul tells us in Romans 7 what that comes down to. The thing I want to do, I can't do. The thing I don't want to do is what I end up doing. Oh, wretched man that I am. So we want to see what the contrast is then when the Spirit of God moves inside of us and begins to change our want tos. How does that impact uh, obedience? So uh, just a, a few things that came to my mind up front. Uh, somebody said in our uh, in our original uh, topics from last month, I've heard some say that if there's no condemnation and I can't do anything to make God love me less than he loves me, then then does that mean I can do whatever I want because God will always love me and accept me? How would you respond to that? And so, of course, we're going to talk about a, a, a practical responsibility of holiness. There is no less call for holiness to be in God and for God to be in us certainly means that the Holy Spirit is going to be in a constant work of sanctification, cleansing us. You're not going easy on holiness in that sense. We're not getting licensed to live in the flesh. We are saying that there is now, instead of an external motivation, there is now an internal motivation that literally changes the want-tos. And I say, what's, what's better, more freedom, uh, knowing the six steps to freedom or having your want to so change that you don't even want to do those things anymore? Well, that's a process, isn't it? So the first question, is there a practical responsibility towards holiness? Another question is, is our obedience will-powered or is it spirit-powered? And what is the difference between a will-powered obedience that would be from our mind, neurological, soul, and then something that comes up, sprung up, energized by the Spirit? And then is there a difference between Old Testament obedience and New Testament obedience? And if so, what is it? 
how can I know or gauge if I am obeying from the heart or if I'm trying to live in obedience by will? But how can I know if I'm doing one uh, or the other? And I was just sitting on the couch this afternoon, praying in the Spirit, praying for our time together tonight. I want this to be uh, such a powerful injection for you and such a, a stirring in your heart. And I just felt the Holy Spirit say, um, check Paul's prayers. Look at Paul's prayers. Well, I, I'm, I'm a fan of Paul's prayers. You might know that. And Paul's prayers are, are loaded with revelation, and they're loaded with a revelation of who we are and what we have. And so I, I have those you know, printed out pretty handy, begin to look through those, and you probably will not be surprised that nowhere in Paul's prayers does he talk about give me more obedience. He doesn't talk about obedience. He certainly doesn't talk about willpower. Uh, and he doesn't talk about chastening in, in the sense of discipline. What he does say is, Lord, help us to see, have eyes to see and ears to hear that power that's at our, already at work within us, strengthened by your spirit in our inner man. So he, he really prays into this thing of internal combustion engine, this, this internal power source that causes us to move in the will of God and uh, changes our want-tos, and we can talk about that some more. Those are just some questions that I want to, to throw out, and my wife has given me some notes. So Jeremy's only here for a second, or is he already gone? No, Jeremy, you're still here? If you're still here, I want to just hear from you, see if you've got anything. He may have checked. Let's see if I, I'm Good. still here. you have yeah. anything you want to throw in before you have to go? Yeah, I would love to. <laughs> Thanks. So... Um, I actually, um, and I was actually just talking to Zach. Zach's, Zach's here with me sitting. Hey, and uh, <laughs> and um, so he's, he's on our board. So he's getting ready to start the meeting. We were just having a conversation about this, that um, in that place that um, we've always connected obedience to um, a level of performance. And what we have found in Jesus is that Jesus always equated his obedience to his connectedness with the father and just the relational place of connectedness with the father. So our, uh, and I'll, I'll just speak from my own experience as I have grown in my own sonship and wanting to be a good son and spending decades of my life trying to will myself into the place of obedience I found that obedience, yeah, you got it, Nathan. <laughs> uh, obedience has naturally come now as a um, byproduct of receiving the love of God. So, uh, Carrie, when you were saying earlier, you were um, saying, you know, if God loves me, since I know that God loves me and I'm, I, there's nothing I can do to separate myself from that love. And so he's just going to love me. And so I can just live the way I want. Well, the problem with that is that just because God loves you doesn't mean that you're receiving that love. So right. this is all about the connectedness. And this is why Jesus wants us to live in the reality of the oneness, the same oneness that he lives in the father so that we yes. can experience the love because in the love, and, and I would say, I don't think obedience is willpower or necessarily spirit power. Cause I don't think it's power. I think obedience is response. It's a, it's, it's a natural, <laughs> it's a natural response to experience.
and seeing the love. Yes, we know that God loves us, but are you experiencing that love? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and what barriers? I found that there were so many barriers that I had in my heart and in my soul that were keeping me from experiencing the love that God had for me, whether it was my own shame or uh, you know the enemy accusing me or condemnation. And so um, really what I see is I see Jesus living in oneness with his father and radically obeying just out of that place of relationship. Um, and I, I, I'm, I, I equate my relationship with God a lot with the marriage that I have. So Holly and I have been married for 24 years and it has been the most bliss filled wonder, um, and beautiful, beautiful expression of God's love. And I don't have to think about trying to be obedient to my covenant with my wife. Like that's, I don't have to will myself into that. I don't have to, I'm not constantly struggling with, with, you know, not committing adultery. I'm not constantly struggling with, you know, talking to her the wrong way or not spending time with her or none, none of those. In fact, I'm living radically in response to the love that she's poured out to me. And all I want to do is give myself to her fully in whatever capacity that I can. And I really feel that, that picture. And I think it's why God uses marriage in, in the context of our relationship between the church and Jesus is because we're supposed to have that level of intimacy with him where we're experiencing his love first. And then in response, we're reciprocating with just this radical lavish of pouring out. Cause man, when I experience the love of God, man, I can't help, but like, Whoa, like give it back. Like, that's all I want to do. All I want to do is love him. All I want to, it's natural for me to want to obey. And that's what Jesus said. If you learn to love, Paul said it hugely. If you learn to love, you'll fulfill all the law. You'll fulfill all the commandments. Just come back to this thing. And I really appreciated the, you know, the end when, uh, when Jesus was getting ready to leave his disciples, he's, he gave them, he says, I give you a new commandment love in the way that I have loved you. And and that I think is, is that is the kind of like the exclamation point that we put on the end of obedience, because it really is just a response to radical love being received from the father. Powerful. Thanks for letting us squeeze into your, uh, into your board meeting. Yeah, I'm going to have to go pretty soon, but I'm (laughs) so grateful I got at least a few minutes with you guys. So looking forward to October. We're so excited. excited. Can't wait. Can't wait. Thank you. Thank you. I think about with Jeremy's uh, thoughts, I think about what Jesus said. My my meat is to do the will of the Father. What is meat? Sometimes we miss the point. What we eat is our energy for life, right? It's what powers us. And Jesus says, what powers me is to do what the Father wants done. That's out of his love, which takes me back to James Jordan, who says, you can't really love God. You can only love him back. You can only love him back. It's not that he, that we first loved him, but that he loves us. And so if, if we don't learn how to receive that love and walk in that love, then there's going to be a choke point on being able to turn that around and give that away. Do you have something? You want yeah, to- I think I, I can totally echo what Jeremy was talking about years ago. The Lord gave me this sort of thought that, you know, there's the the old song, trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. And the Lord has shown me the connection between the two, and and the thought was the obedience, it's easy. It's the trusting that's hard. 
But if we really trust God, if we really trust that he is good, if he re really trusts that he's with us and for us, if we really trust that he wants the best for us, then why would we not obey? Like it, the obedience is a natural outflow because, and, and so here's, I think, the key question when we talk about obedience, and I think this is a, a key distinctive in how we approach the topic is for whose sake? So when God tells us things to do or not to do, for whose benefit are those things? So is it sometimes we get this picture of a God who's like, I, I say it this so like people don't do it consciously, but the idea is like God was so bored in heaven having nothing to do <laughs> that he decided to create humans and create a whole bunch of arbitrary rules and then put us to the test to see if we would obey so that he would give him something to do. So now he can be judged because he was so bored. And so we think our obedience is for his sake. But that's ridiculous. I mean, God, I love, I think it's Bart who says, God doesn't lose anything in his being mm. by our behavior. God doesn't, God, God doesn't lose anything by my disobedience. But who loses? We do. I yeah. do. I miss out on what God has for me when I choose to go against, when God says, I said before you life and death, blessing and curse. If I choose death, well, what am I going to experience? <laughs> it's a no-brainer. So right. why would I choose death right. when I can choose life? What other questions might you have or what came to you, if you've spent any time thinking about this, uh, questions that you might throw in as a stick you're throwing into the fire here to stoke the fire? Questions about obedience, how uh, sons are to live in obedience, and what does that mean? Is that a goal I set? I'm going to be obedient today, or does it come some other way? Any other thoughts? Uh, Michael, good to have you. Michael Johnson. Thanks for joining us. John Drackett's with us. Bless you, John, from Grand Junction, Tamika, Deborah. Good to have all of you with us. And so uh, any other questions you that, that come up to you or maybe that people are asking you, man, I'm trying to obey. I'm trying to get over this. I'm trying to get, I'm, uh, you know, I'm trying to work on this or work on that. And I just don't feel like I can bake, uh, keep falling short. What kind of questions do you hear? So raise your hand so we can call if you wanna, because we, we want to hear from you. Yeah. Anybody. Throw your stick in the fire. Let's let's stoke it a little bit. We don't have to have the answer. The question, <laughs> the question is the bigger part of it. And it's a, I mean, you can ask a question to throw in the fire, or you can just add a comment. It doesn't yes, have to be course. just a question. So, Nathan. Okay, so uh, one of the questions you, you actually, all the list of questions you gave were several that I have actually asked myself uh, as I've been growing in my own sonship. And one of the things that the question I had is, I know that there's this want, the desire has changed, but then there's this, this, why can't I kind of the Romans seven that we talked about. And, and so like, and then that went along with the question, how do we know if it's willpower versus spirit power? And I think it's, it's our, based on our response to either success or failure. You know, I think disappointment can really reveal whether or not it's out of the spirit power or it's the will. I, if we aim for something and we fail, do I run and hide or do I approach, boldly approach the throne of grace? And then, you know, I, I thought about when Peter, well, after the crucifixion, Christ appeared to them. And he said, go to the upper room, tarry and wait from, to receive power on high. And Peter says, I'm going fishing. You know, he kind of returned to self-sufficiency. So I think when we're... When we're be where we're, we're trying to live and work this out being a, an obedient son what is disappointment how do i respond to disappointment when it doesn't pay when it didn't look like i thought it should the outcome 
you know, and I've, I've been dealing with a lot of that personally, what is my response? And if it's to return to self-sufficiency or it's to return to hide, I know that my obedience was at least focused on self. There was a self-centered obedience there instead of a, 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 a the mutual uh, indwelling, the giving, the, the devotion. Uh, one of the things that I've learned is that shame is a terrible motivator for devotion. And so yeah. many lean on shame to try to inspire devotion. When Jeremy said it, and I like, he took the words out of my mouth, just my wife and I, since I've grown in sunshine, I feel like I have the best marriage on the planet. And there is this almost outdo one another in honor. Like there's this competition that's coming, but it's to just out love one another. It's, it's kind of, it's funny to say that word because when we first grow in, in sonship, it's like competition's a bad thing, but it's like, no, I'm going to love you better. And I really feel like that's the picture, the picture of God first loving us gives us the grace to reciprocate. And the more he loves the us, dev, devotion's fueled, like his love for us fuels that devotion. And even when we mess up and fail, uh, it's so funny you mentioned I, my meat is to do the will of my father. And when Jesus, you know, you know, John says it's the Lord and Peter's fishing and he calls out from the shore, have you any meat? You know, he's, you know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> and I just got that connection. He knows how to put his finger on it, doesn't he? <laughs> he really does. And so, but there's just that restoration there. There's that, you know, you, it's, 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 it's really a, a wonderful thing to realize how important obedience is. And in the same breath that I can have rest knowing that he's going to have me, even if I fail. Rest is a key word as sons and daughters, nothing to prove. So uh, I think you've really put your finger on something in terms of answering the question, how do I know if I'm living in uh, willpower or by the Spirit's indwelling power? How, how do I know if, if the Father's will is actually my meat or, or if it's something else? You know, what happens when it doesn't come out the way we thought? Self-preservation self-promotion those are the things we fall back on and peter fell back on self-preservation i know how to fish okay for the last three and a half years jesus has been doing this miracle thing and and feeding us that way but i know how to fish and so that is a, a pretty good show isn't it of when we're walking in the life of the spirit i will say there are some some mechanics that he can give us there are some tools he can give us when i was struggling with uh, an addiction at the age of 18 and 19 about fantasizing. Uh, he gave me a tool. He gave me Romans six. He says, carry everywhere in Romans six, where you see the word sin, you put your temptation in there and then get it on your lips, speak it out. And what I found was when I just trusted what he had spoken to me as a rhema word, then the graphe word became powerful when I would speak that out and that spirit power began to drive that thing out of me. Uh, certainly moment by moment, occasion by occasion, but then eventually my whole want-tos were shifted into a life of, of love and obedience. So there are ways. I'm not saying there's no tools. There are tools. There are ways. And I would say one of the answers for everything is, what's the Father telling you? What, what is the Father giving, giving you some practical ways in your own life to tap in to the life of the Spirit. Jude 20 says it pretty clearly. Build yourself up on your most holy faith by what? Praying in the Holy Spirit. 
The Holy Spirit in my spirit draws me into the conversation of the triune God so that I'm now in that conversation. And in that conversation, there's a a filling and a fullness that comes. I, I can't... Uh, overstate or overestimate um, the power that that's had in my own life of just letting the Holy Spirit pray through me. Yeah, yeah I had a, there's a thought, um, I don't know if it's Dallas Willard or Karl Barth or one of these you know, heavy-duty theologians who says something along the lines of that our preoccupation with obedience and good behavior is really a prideful thing which makes it sin in and of itself. Because it's a preoccupation with obedience and good behavior is a very self-centered orientation. And if we're constantly focused on how I'm performing, what I'm doing, then we don't have time to think about the other. And, and that's true holiness. And so it's very interesting to me to think, and I think it does go back to this question, like, who is, who is obedience for? Like, who's the beneficiary of obedience? And if we think it's this performance thing to earn brownie points with God kind mm-hmm. of thing, mm-hmm. then it actually has the opposite effect. Mm-hmm. It's very good. Somebody else, just before we, before we make the shift over to this idea of the discipline and chastening of the Lord, uh, Andres, you have anything you want to share? John Drackett, anything you want to share? Yeah. Andres? Yeah. I was, I was thinking about uh, what you said about uh, the fatherhood and, and I remember I was reading on G- in John 8 when he said to the Pharisees, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to mm. carry out your father's desires. And, and I, think that I, I think that the focus is in the relationship. If I'm focused on my, on my sonship, then I will be, you know, by nature, I will be wanting to, to carry my father's desire is not is gonna be is not gonna be a burden it's gonna be something that flows with me but i think that there is a big lie of the enemy in in christianity today and is is uh, this idea that that you have to earn everything from the father you know you you did nothing to earn salvation and all of the christians we all agree in that but after after you're saved if you don't receive that revelation of your sonship, then you will trust the, the light that you have to earn everything from the Father. And maybe that's the point when obedience became becomes something that you have to, and it's so, you know, like it's a, it's a, it's a load on your shoulders, but it's yes. not something that is flowing to you and with you. Yes, yes. We call it the bait and switch. You know, the... We're going to bait you in that the gospel is free. Salvation is free. But as soon as you get in, now we're going to tell you, you got to read your Bible, pray every day. You know, don't, don't cuss, don't chew, don't go with girls that do, you know, all those things. All of a sudden now we've got all of these fences around us to keep us from doing something wrong. And it's, it makes it double hard, I think, for people to really come out of that. We say a lot about accountability groups and those kinds of things, but really it's got to be an internal indwelling relationship. If you make your the Holy Spirit your best friend, there's going to be a changing of the want tos, this internal transformation from glory to glory that uh, really shifts us, shifts our focus. We not only become father-centered, but we become other-centered where we are giving ourselves away and there comes the essence of of joy. I just want to mention to you that uh, in my book, The Foundation of Sonship, that's not part of of the trilogy, 
But in the book on the foundation of sonship, chapter 5 is all about this topic. It's about the obedience of sons and how from Old Testament to New, something's totally different. As we started by saying Israel was the disobedient son that kept falling away, but Jesus came as the obedient son that simply out of a heart receiving the love of the Father uh, Jesus says in John 17 in his prayer, Father, before the foundation, from the for, before the foundation of the world, you've been loving me. Jesus knew how to receive the Father's love and live in that love, and that's why he could totally focus on others. He could go to the cross without saying a word. He went as a lamb that didn't speak. He could let uh, people revile him, hate him. For us, if there's an ounce of self-preservation, you know, we're we're putting up our dukes to. Uh, to, to stand up for ourselves. So, so this is something that as we grow in this idea that I have nothing to hide, nothing to prove, nothing to fear, nothing to lose, all things are mine through my relationship with the Father, and the Holy Spirit lives in me to make that relationship a reality day by day, minute by minute, then uh, we'll begin to slowly realize the things that used to trip us up aren't tripping us up so much anymore. Um, I have... You can share a few of those. Let, let me just share just a couple, if you will, then we'll jump over to this other idea. These are just some contrasts in Chapter 5 of the Foundations of Sonship. Orphans to sons on obedience. Orphans see obedience as a mechanism and a proof of love and faithfulness to God. If I obey, then I'm proving to you that I love you. Sons see obedience as a spirit-initiated response to the internal work of transformation. Orphans view God first and foremost as a righteous judge, demanding holiness before relationship. Sons view God as first and foremost a triune relationship, seeing right relationship which produces a fruit of holiness or wholeness. Orphans believe they must earn their way into acceptance by right behavior. Sons live in the knowing that we have been fully accepted in the beloved Jesus already. Just one more. Orphans obey to prove their love for God. Thus, strict obedience is the vehicle. And that means then the religious leaders become the police, the spiritual police. We've got to make sure you're obeying. But sons first receive the Father's love and then love him back in a natural response, which is what Jeremy was talking about. This love is a response. And if you go back and study some of the the uh, the Greek... Um, the Cappadocian fathers, in their study of the Trinity, they would say the, the whole thing is about the love between the Father and the Son, and the Spirit is the bond of love between the two. So think about the Holy Spirit in you, sealing you in your spirit with that same bond of love. He's the one that's capacitating you to receive the Father's love, which we think, oh, I've got to earn it. No, you don't. He still loves you as you are. So there's a lot more of that, and I pray that if the Lord's stirring some questions in you right now, just email those to us, send those to us. We really want to just keep stoking the fire on this and talking about it. You want to take us into this idea of sure. the, discipline the discipline or the, yeah. the uh, chastening of sons? Yeah, so, the, so I think the two are very much related. I think that the key question that, that we hear in terms of feedback is, since the Father loves us unconditionally, and, you know, and we harp on this idea of the Father's unconditional love and that God is first and foremost love and all this stuff. And so people get uh, discomforted about it or you know, uneasy about it because the question is, well, does that mean that then we can do whatever we want to do when there are no consequences? 
And of course, that's silly. Like we, we know that there are consequences, but again, the consequences are not for God's sake. So we have this idea, again, that God is calling us to obey and that we will experience blessing or punishment based on our obedience, as opposed to going back to Deuteronomy where, where, where God said, I said before you life and death, blessing and curse. So obedience just gets you on the path of what God has already judged to be good. So when I, one of my responses to that is, of course, God is judge, but judge doesn't necessarily mean like in a court of law like we have now, where there's a law and the judge looks at the law, looks at your actions and gives a verdict. God is judging that he's the one who established the balance upon which all things are measured. And he's the one who gets to say, because he created everything, these things lead to life and these things lead to death. So yes, God is judge, but maybe we've misunderstood the way that God is judge. So obviously the, the key passage that comes into question in that is Hebrews 12. So I want to share a few thoughts before we look at Hebrews 12 um, really quickly and then open it up for any thoughts you have. We would say that in the, the Western notion of freedom is that it's a lack of constraint, a lack of restraints, and you do you and I'll do me. Do like I can want. do whatever you want. So when we hear this thing, we say, well, is that freedom is dangerous. Well, of course that freedom is dangerous, but that's not biblical freedom. Biblical freedom is to not be bound by the law of sin and death. Biblical freedom is to be free from the need to self-protect. Biblical freedom is to be free to be other-centered. Mm. Biblical freedom is to be truly free to respond to God's love without any, mm. any other impulses mm. working there. So, so I would say it's not that God doesn't care about sin. God cares about sin very much, but it's because he cares about us. It's for our sake, not for his. So I think we need to establish those things first. So like we'd say, what good father would let his child run in the street, right? How many of you have kids there? Like it would be ridiculous to let your kids run in the street. Why? It's for their sake. You don't want them to get hurt. So I was having a conversation with somebody um, who has a, a young child, and we were talking about this idea of spanking. And, and I heard somebody talk about this, this one person is like literally, these were the words, I'm terrified of God's discipline. And it's like, I'm terrified of God's spanking. The idea is, in, as humans, I think many times spanking takes the form of, I'm so irritated with you and I'm so frustrated, I'm going to let my anger and my frustration out on you. Like, Demand, I need a punching bag. Demand compliance. To, yes. Yeah. As opposed to, okay, if, if putting your hand in the fire is going to cause it to burn, that's a really bad long-term consequence. Maybe when your hand is approaching the fire, I'm going to spank you. That's a temporary lesser consequence to help you associate the behavior with something bad, to prevent you from something that would be more damaging. And so I think sometimes when we look at God's discipline, we look at it as a punishment, in a sense, as opposed to a very quick, hey, catch your attention, watch it, you're going in the wrong direction, right? So... Um, in John, 1 John 4, 18, I think this one's key, says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. And then John explains exactly what he's talking about. He says, Fear, for fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Whoever fears what? Whoever fears punishment. So if you're afraid of God's punishment, you have not been perfected in love. That's the key. So Hebrews then uses this idea over and over, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord or the chastening of the Lord, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves, chastises whom, whom he receives. Is it for discipline that you have to endure? And who's, 
uh, what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline. So it's over and over and over we hear this thing. Where did we get this idea that discipline means punishment? Well, interestingly, I found out about it. So the Oxford Dictionary definition of discipline is to train someone to obey rules or a code of behavior using punishment to correct disobedience. That's Oxford Dictionary. Then we look at Merriam-Webster, and it basically says that the word discipline is from the Latin word disciplina, meaning instruction and training. So the original meaning of the word is instruction and training. It has nothing to do with punishment. Right? It's derived from the root word decided to learn. It says but in the earliest known use of discipline uh, in English, in the English language, it says, uh, I'll read what Miriam Webster says, given that several meanings of discipline deal with study, governing one's behavior and instruction, one might assume that the word's first meaning in English has to do with education. Makes sense. Disciples. But in fact, the earliest known use of discipline appears to be punishment-related, but here's where it came from. It was first used in the 13th century to refer to the chastisement of our religious nature, such as self-flagellation. So it's Guilt. way back when during the monastic period where, where humans had this idea of God as a punishing God and we are supposed to inflict pain on ourselves, they started using the word discipline to mean punishment. And since then, in the English language, we just assume that every time we hear the word discipline, it has to do with punishment. Right. So I, I think just understanding even where it comes from is important for us. So the biblical definition, if we go back to the root word of discipline, in the, in, it's paideia, the Greek word, which is the whole training and education of children. And that same word, this is key for me, that same word paideia is the one that's used in Ephesians 6.4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. The message says, take them by the hand and lead them in the way of the master. That's the meaning of discipline. Take them by the hand and lead them in the way. Uh, the TLB says, bring them up with a loving discipline the Lord himself approves with suggestions and godly advice. <laughs> Other translations say the admonition, the correction, the counsel, the discipline, the instruction, the nurture, the teaching, the training. So all of it really has to do with education, with instruction, with counsel, not with spanking. But yet we keep, and it's the same word that is used in 2 Timothy 3.16, that all scripture is breathed out by God, profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness for paideia. That training in righteousness, so it's, the, it's showing us truth, exposing our rebellion, correcting our mistakes, and training us to live God's way. So I wanted to give that little exposition of the biblical meaning of discipline, because when we think about the Lord's discipline, we immediately think punishment. And we think, well, clearly it can't be walking out of sons can't be that easy because the Lord punishes those who disobey. So but the that's hurricane, really not what the Bible says. So the hurricanes that come into New Orleans right. is because of all the sin going on and God sending the hurricane yes. to punish. To, to dis, to dis, <laughs> and in fact, it's interesting because when, Harvey, when Hurricane Harvey came to Houston, it was devastating. And it first came through Corpus Christi. And I, re I literally saw posts that said, see, this is clear proof that this is God's doing because Corpus Christi means the body of Christ. And the Bible says that judgment begins in the house of God. And so therefore the judgment came through Corpus Christi and landed in Houston because of the big Planned Parenthood clinic in Houston. And I'm thinking, it, so 
the Lord is clearly okay with everything that happens in Las Vegas. Because, I mean, I, you never see things like that happening in Las Vegas. <laughs> <laughs> like, he's, he's going to take it out of Houston. No hurricanes in San Francisco or right. New York City. That's, that's interesting. Right, interesting. So <laughs> He's a bad do, shot. But just, we do have just these ideas. Not, not good shot. Yeah. You know. But we do, have, we, we do hold all these ideas of God as a spanking God. And it's, again, this spanking of I'm frustrated with you and I'm going to shape, shape you up by by putting you through really hard things. Mm. So, with all that, what are your thoughts? <laughs> <laughs> what is the discipline of the Lord? And why is it us? important for us? And of course, the word paiadion means the, the training of a little child is where we get pedagogy. And that is the whole process of training. And is that just pain? Um, it, does a child learn better if you hit them up Side the head with a two by four. If that's the case, then don't set them in a school desk and make them read books and study. Let's just take them out and hit them up with two by four. How, how stupid that is! So the chastening, the discipline of the Lord. What does that mean? If He's a loving Father, does He employ Satan to do His dirty work for Him? That's another question that we have to think. Well, God doesn't do it, but He lets Satan do it. Well. Well, is some that people, how? Yeah, or those some people say, like, the Lord does spank us, but it's, but it's because he's very loving. Like, but really, like, what does that look like? Because I think we, we, we don't connect the dots. We say, well, God is good, so therefore everything he does must be good. So even if he's inflicting pain on me and doing things that are destructive to my life, well, because he's good, then that must be good. And it just gets like this really weird, I think. Well, the Hebrew writer talks about the father of spirits disciplines us after the spirit by spirit we're also admonished in romans 8 to mortify the deeds of the body how through the spirit through the spirit so so this this idea that somehow god is going to use these physical things and he's going to punish you put you in the hospital or whatever god knows how to put you on your back until you listen to him well he knows how to use the occasions where we stop and listen he he does that what are your thoughts about the discipline or the chastening of the lord uh, have we just made you mad or, or <laughs> one, one more thought while you're thinking about it is um, this idea that sometimes the Lord's discipline is letting us have the natural consequences there of our go. choices. And the discipline is just that he removes his hand of protection from us and says, if you insist on that, mm. have at it. And mm. so we interpret it as though God is causing the, the pain. No, it's the natural consequence of our choice. The Lord just allowed us to do it. Can we, can we consider this idea that sin carries its own consequences? And the Father's trying to keep you from stepping into the consequences that are going to come with that sin. Uh, if you give yourself over to vile affections, guess what? There are natural consequences that come with imbibing in those sins. I had an alcoholic grandfather. My mom saw regularly the consequences of his sins. God wasn't doing that to him. Uh, he was stepping in and receiving the consequence of his uh, disobedience. So what does it say to you? Is there any other questions that it stirs in you? I'm not saying we have the answer. Right. I, I just want to hear your questions and your thoughts. Anybody? Nathan, go for it. Um, it's funny you mentioned uh, the, the kind of the natural consequence thing. That's been really helpful for me to understanding God's discipline and punishment in the light of, you know, the uh, one of the verses that really jumped out at me early on in, in dealing with this was that in Romans 1, it says that the wrath of God is being poured out against all wickedness of man. 
and the aim there is wickedness, not men. Right. And so there's this, there's this, it's like this, this, his wrath is for our benefit. If God is love, then his wrath is an extension of that love. And so this, it's this, this discipline is to free me that from that, which is killing me. And so, and it's, and it's interesting. It led me because I love Romans and I, the wages of sin is death. So sin hands out death, not God. And so that's how it's helped me understand God's way of, of bringing correction. And I'm reminded of uh, Proverbs 12, one, whoever hates correction is stupid. And so it's like, let's embrace this correction because it's for my benefit. It's, it's not to, for him to have a better day, you know? And so that's, that's, uh, that's kind of my take with, with discipline. And there's, there's, there's this freedom to kind of embrace that process because I know it's for my benefit. And so on the other side of it, I'm being conformed into the image of his son. So there's not yeah, something I have you. to run from. You bring up a great point that we have to have clarity on, and that is what is the wrath of God? Uh, Paul in one place says, we are not appointed to wrath. Uh, so I love Glenn Packham's definition. I don't know if it's original with him, but Glenn Packham says, the wrath of God is the furious love of God uh, released to destroy that which seeks to destroy the object of his love. So anything that is coming at a son or daughter of God that is trying to destroy that son or daughter, the father's furious love is released on that thing. And I always like the analogy of the, of the new mother, got a little baby in the crib, you know, and she's, she's going to sleep, the baby's already asleep, but she hears the baby kind of restless, and she gets restless. She comes in, flips on the light in the nursery, and sees a scorpion crawling down the wall toward the baby. Do you think that little petite mother is just going to say, oh, my, how tragic if something were to happen? No, she's going to tear that room to pieces to, to kill that scorpion. Why? Because the thing that she loves the most is in danger. The wrath of God is God's furious love coming after that thing which is trying to destroy what he loves the most. We are the apple of his eye. We are the inheritance that he has chosen. The problem is if you don't release that thing that you've been hanging on to, if he convicts you of it and you don't renounce that, then guess what? He's going to smoke that thing and you're going to get burned in the process. And then we blame it on God. No, God's just trying to save you from the thing that's trying to destroy you. Uh, anybody, we've got uh, Michael. I don't know if I've met you, Michael Johnson. If you have something to share, we would love to hear from you, love to meet you. Uh, anybody else have something that, that you want to share? Mom, Michael's Michael. here. I'm actually driving Maybe. home from Walmart. <clears throat> Went to pick up cool. some medication for my wife. Um, I kind of like to go back to the first conversation and uh, talk about the struggle to um, put on the new life of Christ and to say goodbye to the old life and how even Paul struggled to go back and forth, the things I want to do, I can't do, the things that I shouldn't do, I continue to do. But I got a very vivid picture of Tarzan swinging through the jungle and he's grabbing out and if he doesn't like gold one, then he's got struggle. He's got tension. And um, I think the only time we have trouble and problems if we try to hold on too much to the old life while we're taking right. on the new life. Right. <laughs> and if we continue to You'd pray for lose. God to help us, yeah. yeah. 
But if we pray for God to help us to, to live a better life and to live his way, I don't think he's going to tie a knot in his mind to make it easier for us. I think he's going to grease the lot vine of the old, the old life so that it's hard and hard to hang on to. Let go of it. Yeah, let go of so it. That, so that's the yeah. comment. It's a thank you. It's a where, where do you live, Michael? Um, I'm a contemporary of Nathan. I live in Arkansas. We're attending the same church. Arkansas. Right oh, cool. Very cool. I didn't know Nathan had any friends. It's really good to meet a friend of Nathan. So I'm kidding you, my man. <laughs> I use the word contemporary. <laughs> Nathan didn't even smile. Didn't didn't crack a smile. Yeah, it, it's it's so true that uh, you know you that 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 picture that you've given us is is a, is a cool one because you've got to keep momentum to swing right and if you hang on to the old thing hang on to the new you've lost all your momentum you're you're dead in the water so to speak and so this uh this thing Romans 7 is powerful when you see it in the whole context of of what Paul is saying in Rome uh to the Romans uh, chapter 5 is the legal part chapter 6 is the practical application how to reckon yourself dead to sin chapter 7 says if you don't learn how to reckon yourself dead to sin this is the this is the hole you're going to be in He's not really talking about his own situation. He's talking about the man that is trying to get his righteousness by keeping the law. This is where you're going to end up. The thing I want to do, I couldn't do. The thing I didn't want to do. So he takes us to chapter 8. What's chapter 8? The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set me free from the law of sin and death. So this law of the spirit, the life of the spirit in us that comes through us. It's not an outside in, not the law of Moses. It's a law written on our hearts that changes our, our want tos. Anybody else want to jump in? I don't know We've got about uh, eight, nine minutes left. I'd love to hear from everybody. It's one issue. Again, I was oops, agreeing a lot with what Chiki said earlier about looking at um, even from Deuteronomy again, the blessings, curses, or blessings and and uh, consequences, whether you obey, follow what the Lord uh, has for us. And it's really our own rebellion that sets us apart from. And so if we are, as a son, we're trying to be one with him. And we have the, the same um, thoughts, the same mind, the same heart then as Jesus wants to be one with him and he has the same heart with him, then the Lord's will, the Father's will, will be our will. Our desire will be his desire. And when we deviate, then we separate ourselves from that oneness or quote we sin. Yeah. Yeah. And so if you look at discipline rather than traditionally it's it's the wrong behavior which you have to again look look at uh, our heart being self-centered and and so his discipline isn't actually physical it's not a circumstantial change right. that mm -hmm. is negative to it but mm -hmm. because we have his spirit we're really looking at how the Holy Spirit convicts our heart. And mm -hmm. so we know we were off and we were hopefully saddened and we repent and we ask for forgiveness. And so part of that 
discipline is to correct, is to show us, is to uh, direct us back to the Lord. And ultimately, as we get transformed through that Holy Spirit, sure. yeah. we have less of that. And we yes. begin, holiness ends up being the completeness, the teleos, the perfection that we will have as we continue to always hear his voice, do what he says. And if those times we quench that spirit, we recognize that we should have, but we didn't, we turn back. Yeah. And so we get yeah. more aware and sensitive to that little nudge, that voice, the direction. Yes. And um, again, if we stay in worship with them, we stay in uh, praying the spirit, we stay connected as much as we can then, the circumstances of this world, the little distractions, the other things that draw our, may want to draw our attention, meaning the, either ourselves or the enemy, hopefully we stay more on track so that we will have less times we are um, deviating or disobedient. Yes. Times yes. that we will have our spirit so remind us, Jim, <laughs> once again, yeah. or whatever That's pattern. It. Keeping and, keeping the conversation going with him, isn't it? Continuing to so hear that, that way, like I say, we're not going to get um, reprimanded by a spanking. <laughs> Sometimes we will inflict our own pain because we discipline mm -hmm. the father, mm -hmm. rather than That's having right. a circumstantial mm -hmm. discipline. discipline. Mm -hmm. Thank yeah, you, Jim. And, and Jim, Jim, you mentioned this that the hearing the small voice and and heeding it, and I think. Oftentimes when we think of discipline, we think of after the fact, but most discipline actually happens before the fact. I think most discipline, instruction, correction, training in righteousness happens before the fact. So it's the Holy Spirit giving us that nudge to say, hey, don't go there. It's interesting that Jordan Peterson, who speaks as a clinical psychologist, as a professor of psychology, not as a theologian at all, but speaking as a clinical psychology, psychologist, he said that in his classes, he would ask all his students, how many of you, when you're about to do something, how, have ever heard like that still small voice inside of you that says, don't go there? And everybody always raises their hand. And then he asked the question, well, how many of atheist. you? <laughs> yeah. And then he says, how many of you always obey that voice? And none of them do. And so isn't it interesting? So that shows me that Holy Spirit is disciplining us, even if we don't know him. Even when we, even for people who don't know God, Holy Spirit is trying to teach us, us trying to lead us in mm. the way that leads to life. And if we heed his voice, then that discipline keeps us from receiving the consequences of sin. Right? So the discipline is, is preventive, yeah. not corrective, I, I would say the majority of the time. Well, there's, uh, if you want to dig a little deeper in kind of another branch of this, you can look up the psychology of obedience. And there's a very interesting thing that I, I read about from Eichmann, who was one of the, the um, architects of the mass murders of the Jewish people in uh, Nazi um, Holocaust. And when he came to the Nuremberg trials um, and was being tried and sentenced, his rationale was he was only obeying orders. He had, had no conscience of doing something that was evil because he was simply obeying orders. So in the psychology of obedience, they talk about the difference between obeying an order from a higher up, an authority, a voice of authority, and then those that simply go with the crowd. They say the difference between 
obedience and compliance are people that just go with the crowd. We saw that in, in the COVID uh, shutdowns. How many people just went with the crowd? Well, some of it they thought was a voice of authority, but most people didn't really know what the authoritative word on it was. So we just go with the crowd. We wouldn't dare uh, do uh, go against it. But what they say in both cases, both the compliance and the obedience, whether authority or your own peers, those that are moved that way are only those that lack an inner anchor, an inner core of moral value. And so this, I think, is the difference. This is the sweet spot. This is the wisdom, the genius of, uh, of God is he moves into us. He becomes, by the Holy Spirit, the core, the anchor on the inside of us so that we have the power to disobey even authority that would, would command us to do something that is against conscience, or just that simple going with the flow. Well, I don't know what else to do. All my friends are doing it, so I'm just going to do it. Uh, there's a core inside of us. There is something anchored deep in the middle of you in your spirit, man, the Holy Spirit, whose job is to bring us to wholeness, holiness, and he's constantly speaking. God's word is constantly being released in us by the Holy Spirit. Man should not live by bread alone, but by every word which is continually proceeding out of the mouth of God. And that is the Holy Spirit in us. So I just want to bless you with this idea, bless you with the reality that we're not just boats out floating around in the waves in the sea. We're not just going with whatever current is pushing us one way or the other. You have an anchor on the inside of you. Uh, You have the wisdom of God. You have the nature of God. You have the love of God inside of you that gives you the ability to stand. Somebody was waving at us. Nathan. Nathan's waving. Hey, waving. You waving by? (laughs) I I wanted to, to, you know, kind of build off the psychology, the obedience thing. I I recently read a book um, called Hold On to Your Kids, and it's all about attachment theory, the connection, the obedience Mm -hmm. that comes from connection. And uh, so it's, it's called Hold On to Your Kids. It's a great book. It'll preach. But in it, they, they surveyed this, uh, these eastern villages, and, and they noticed that these young kids up to teenagers were so, they did what they were told, they served, they showed initiative. It was just so harmonious. And, and these, these men, the, the two authors, they went and asked them, like, how do you get them to obey so well? And they didn't understand the question. Like, well, wow. why wouldn't they obey? And, and, and they, they, they did all this research. This, this, they were attached generationally. They were attached to their parents. They were attached to the father. And there was this mutual giving and, and mm. interdependence that's birthed. And I just, it just speaks to what you were saying there that this, his connection with us, we have to trust that he's dealt with all the lack within that interior wholeness because he sits there. Yeah. And yeah, so with so attachment, good. it gives us the, the grace to, to, obey. to obey. Attachment. Yes, it's powerful. And uh, the West has uh, lost uh, attachment. That's why it's such a powerful thing for us to understand the Holy Spirit is the one. Would you throw this um, QR code back up on here? I just want to say thank you for all of you joining uh, with us. I hope you'll see this as a journey that we're taking together to learn together, to sharpen one another, to bring new ideas to the table that maybe none of us have considered before. Uh, I need what you have. I need what you um, see 
Uh, I'm, I'm sorry that we didn't hear from Dave Metzger tonight. Dave's also got always a, a rich treasure of the wisdom of God. Uh, and for all of you. So Can I say just a couple yeah, of, I know we're, we're a couple minutes over, but um, Sylvia says, I know I'm in the affection of his love. I know he is in love with me, so I gladly love his discipline. So, yes, that's the, I think that's what we're talking about. It says <clears throat> this attachment makes the <clears throat> discipline be a joy. And, Deborah, were you wanting to say something? We're a little bit over time, but if you want to say something real quick, we'd love to hear from you. I just wanted to say in regards to the discipline as well. Discipline is very necessary. I have found in my own life that the places and like with you, Carrie, with mentioning about, you know, with God disciplining us is for our good. And there's blessings in that. And there's blessings in that for us that we can partake of the Holy Spirit and, 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 and peaceful and fruitful for righteousness. And so with that said, you know, it's good, it's good. And it's in, in that learning, we learn from that. And what we learn is this is very important. And so I myself have learned so much in allowing him to discipline me and knowing that it's for my good. Yeah. 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 Welcoming his discipline. Yeah. You know, discipline, yeah. a disciple, you can't make disciples without coming to a place to say, I want what you have for me. Let that grow as a fruit in my life. Yeah, your root and then your fruit, and and that's what we're after. Uh, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for taking the time to join us. We'll be on again next month. I know everybody's busy running in and out of town, but if you haven't done so yet, would you would you grab your phone, take a shot of this QR code, go ahead and register for the Sons and Daughters Conference October the 6th, 7th, and 8th. Uh, the numbers are going to be important to us because we have limited space. We'll need to know exactly how many are, are signed up, first come, first serve, in terms of registration. Uh, Andres and Natalia Vargas are going to be with us from Bogota, Colombia. Uh, Jeremy and Holly Graman are going to be with us speaking and uh, leading us in some worship from Roseburg, Oregon. We'll have others, John Drackett from Grand Junction, uh, Nathan from, from Arkansas, uh, we hope to have folks from uh, Mexico City as well. Chiki and I are going to be going down to Mexico City here in about a week and a half to spend a long weekend developing uh, kind of a base camp down there with some great leaders. And so we're thankful for what God's doing in many different places. Hope you'll join us. Make plans to be with us October 6th, 7th, and 8th. If you don't want to spend money for a hotel room, we'll have some folks that are opening their homes, and we've already been preparing for that. So we want to see you. We want to spend some time with you face-to-face, and we'll just keep sharpening one another. I just speak blessing over you. You are a son, a daughter of the Most High God, and you're learning how to receive His love and walk out of that in indwelling spirit that's overflowing from us to others. Love you. God bless you. Have a great week. Till we see you next month. Bye-bye.